latest episode of the Brushbuilders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushbuilders Union, Simon Berman. And today I am joined by the one and only Duncan Two Thin Coats Rhodes. Duncan, thank you so much for talking to you. I think I'm I, you're, I'm extremely excited to speak with you. I'm sure my listeners are as well. How are you doing? Oh, thank you. Um, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Doing very well. Happy to be here. Um, finding it amusing. The, the, the Two Thin Coats thing I think is going to be following me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yes you are you are you're manacled to that forever i think yes yeah well thank you for inviting me on it's a pleasure but uh, yeah no it's it's wonderful to have you here you know i i don't think there are many people who have had as big an impact on miniatures painting over the last decade as you have and i'm, I'm really looking forward to, to picking your brain about what that's been like for you and you know how you got there oh absolutely yeah it's quite a, quite a story you're probably best known at this point as games workshops uh sort of lead studio painter for quite a long time now and um you know but I, I want to talk to you about how, how did you get into painting in the first place? You know, what, what got you started back in whenever? Um, well, I think uh, I think before I tell of that, um, it's probably best to say I, I wasn't really their lead studio painter. Um, what I was was one of the painters in the studio. And um, I just I, I have a natural inclination towards um, teaching and helping make things accessible in this hobby. Um, and so I just found myself in the right place at the right time, really. Um, so there was, there's certainly at Games Workshop painters who are more talented than me and that they can produce far more beautiful miniatures. Um, uh, my my point is that I'm just good at teaching people how to get great results. You know, I guess that's, I, I, at least that's why I hope I have managed to do. Um, but uh, I first got into miniature painting because um, my, you know, I've always been creative, always like building stuff. You know, I was into Lego and things like that. And I liked painting and drawing when I was little. Um, but for one year for Christmas, my parents bought me some model airplanes and um, from that point on, I've been obsessed with building and painting models um, to one extent or another. Um, I wonder if they ever look back to that and think, you know, like <laughs> what it, it's it, I mean, I think everyone has this. There's like little little things that happen in their life which sets them down a path, which at the time no one thinks anything of it. But it turns out to completely dominate the person that they become and what they do and things. And it's um, it's always curious to me looking back and picking out those little moments in your history that have led you down to where you are and made you the person that you are. Um, but I, had a, I had a blast painting these model airplanes. There was a, what was there? There was a French plane called a Superintendard, and there was a, a British one called a Jaguar. I can't remember what the other one was. It might have been a helicopter. It might have been a Lynx helicopter. But anyway. I painted a Jaguar um, yeah, when I was about plane. 12, actually. Oh, really? Oh, it's such, a, such an awesome-looking plane. But I always kind of felt like it was um, ignored in favour of the tornado. <laughs> um, I, I did paint a tornado as well, but yeah, I agree with you. Oh, Yes, I, I remember building one with those, you know, those Parkworks magazines where you get like a few bits every month. Um, I remember signing up to one of those with a tornado in <laughs> and uh, like getting fed up of waiting and, you know, like losing the parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually, I really like that model. I, I think, I guess Games Workshop has a sort of similar like monthly subscription for, for building armies in the UK, but there's nothing like that in the United States, unfortunately, either for scale models or uh, miniatures. Oh really? I, I'm surprised. There's there's loads and loads here in the UK. I mean, when whenever Christmas comes along, there's a Star Wars film coming out. Yeah, you know, suddenly there's a Star Wars one and build an X-wing over you know two years. You may as well just buy a whole model kit, really. But it's fun building along with the price of these magazines. And I know that the Warhammer ones give you loads of stuff for your money. Yeah, they're great. I, I wish they had them over here, but but sadly not. But uh, don't don't let me uh, <laughs> digress you too far. What, what were you saying about um, your your sort of starting scale modeling into miniatures? Ah, uh, yeah. So so I um. Yeah, I was building these model airplanes and I, I would end up going to model shops with my dad and, you know, buying the next plane or things. I experimented a bit with tanks, but I could never get on with the infantry figures, like the small one, 72nd, you know, little figures. Um, 
I always found them really frustrating because they were kind of like a bendy plastic. But um, one day when I was 11, um, I was with my dad in a town called Ashby de la Zouche in Derbyshire. And um, we went into a model shop where they had a Games Workshop trade stand. And uh, well, not trade stand, I suppose it was just like a selection of boxes and things, but I'd never seen anything like it before. And they had the little takeaway leaflet that showed you how to play Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000. And um, I became obsessed with this thing. I was like, Space Marines are the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. They like look like halfway between Darth Vader and Stormtroopers, and I was really into Star Wars at that time. Um, so ah. my dad says to me, that, yeah, he does, um, I'm sure that there's a games workshop in Derby. I'm sure I've walked past it, and I had no idea. Um, but he took me the following weekend. And in this entire week, I kept I took this thing with me everywhere. I took it to school with me every day. I'd be looking at it every opportunity. I'd be trying to decide, you know, when I get some Space Marines, what colours am I going to paint them? And um, eventually he took me to Games Workshop Derby and I bought a box of Warriors of the Imperium. So he got six Space Marines and it was like just five pounds. And I got a pot of Skull White and Chaos Black and a fine detail brush because I assumed that if you had a fine detail brush, you'd paint better. And um, and we dug out the old Humbrol paints that I've been, yeah, all the old Humbrol paints that I've been painting my um, model aeroplanes with. And so I just had a great time painting these miniatures. And um, because I was into Star Wars so much, I painted them white, you know, a bit like Stormtroopers, and then started putting my own influence on it. But I thought chevrons and yellow and black were cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just had, had a great time with them. And from that point on, um, it completely changed my perspective from kind of ignoring the little soldier miniatures to suddenly thinking, these are awesome. I want an army of these. Um, yeah, so I just sort of kind of started trying to find my way through it. Um, but there was no one telling me at the time, you know, what to do. And the guides in the Games Workshop books, I didn't quite understand when they said highlight it. And you saw the model go from looking good to amazing. And I just couldn't make that bridge of understanding right. what to do. Yeah. And um, I mean, no one even explained, I didn't talk about thinning around what, paints. Or around what year was this? Oh, this would have been um, 97, 98. Yeah, around about then. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that era of guides. That's 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 a little after mm. when I started myself, but yeah, there there was definitely some big gaps in the instruction, wasn't there? Oh yes, oh yes. Um, and it, things are very different now. There's a lot more support in learning things now, which is great. Um, back then, it felt like you had to do quite a bit of because there was no internet really either at that point either, was there? So you kind of had to do a lot of work yourself trying to find things out. <clears throat> so I was so I was very shy and very introverted. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I, I've talked quite a bit about this on, there's only when I was, you know, on some Games Workshop podcasts that, um, I would always have to pluck up a lot of courage to go and ask questions about things. And, um, remember I bought a few boxes and things, but my models, they looked, I mean, I still got my first space frame and I kept them around to remind me of this kind of thing. And there's so much paint gunked onto him and things. Sure. And, um, I remember in the shop, in the Games Workshop store, there was a, a staff member there who, I think he was like aspiring to golden demon painting or heavy metal painting but he was very very talented um but um it's just like a, so if someone's shy like me to have an interaction where you ask a question and the response is very dismissive and sort of like go away it kind of it sticks with you and that kind of made me scared of asking for advice from that point on which is kind of silly looking back at it but when you know you're an 11 year old lad sure. and very shy and introverted and stuff these things stay with you um so i kind of had to try and work stuff out myself and I ended up painting an Ultramarines army where I kind of discovered dry brushing. I ended up dry brushing the whole army. Um, but I kind of, I based, I sort of figured out the idea of using a palette and what it's for and, you know, kind of made steps. But when I turned 18 and got a job in Games Workshop Derby and um, met Chris Peach and the other staff member there, Neil Cook, these two guys were very, very, very good at painting. And um, they basically sort of showed me the ropes and pointed out what I was doing wrong and explained things to me. And, um, 
I learned rapidly at that point. Having people around you know what you're doing, who you can talk to about it, it's so easy just to sort of absorb this knowledge from them. So I learned a, a heck of a lot in a very short period of time. But yeah, I just found out I just loved the painting, just loved it. Yeah, it's amazing how much um, you you really learn from you know in person or at least video instruction. I, I remember when uh, about a year before I started working at Privateer Press, I, I uh, went to Gen Con and uh, one of their uh, miniatures painters at the time was uh, doing demos. And you know, the, part of the, the the studio style there is two brush blending, and uh, you know you hear oh, about yeah. it. And you know, I'd seen some, I'd read some tutorials, and but actually getting to see their painter do that in person. Um, you know, it was like, a, it was like a, a flip switched in my brain. I, I was able to basically do it almost immediately, you know, not, not on his level, obviously, but, <laughs> but that, that on hand, that in-person instruction or what you can get through a video is really incredible. And, you know, the videos you produce with, with Games Workshop have been, you know, they're just a tremendous, I actually, I was refer, I referred to one earlier this week, actually, for a uh, word bearers army. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's I'm, I'm painting a librarian for a French horse heresy army. Oh, I see. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's um, it it's very bizarre. It's very weird because like my world's still the same. You know, I still know the same people and all these kind of things. But then I meet people from all over the world who will tell me that they've used the advice I've given and done this thing, and it's always incredible. It's absolutely incredible to me. Um, it's uh, yeah, it that's why going to these shows and things is so nice. We actually get to meet these people, you know, face to face and and talk to them about what they do and what's helped them through and what's been taught to them. It's um. It, may, it reminds me of, you know, myself when I was little and I was really scared about asking for advice and stuff like that. But to actually help give that advice is such a, it gives me such a feeling of well-being. Um, I've been so lucky, I really have. I, I can only imagine, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you've, you've reached a tremendous amount of hobbyists through the, those videos and stuff. Were, were you at all involved in sort of the um, the, the beginning of, of the, the conceptualization of, of those instructional videos? You know, where, where did you come on in that process when those were being developed? Well, I actually, um, so... I ended up, well, I'll tell you kind of what happened. I was working in retail. In in retail, I found that, uh, you have to, aside from obviously selling things, you have to run the introductory games and introductory painting lessons. And I found for me, doing those painting lessons was really fulfilling because I helped to, um, like you were describing, when you see that tuberous blending, when you see it happen in front of you and you get it, I was able to kind of show people who didn't understand these things and you'd see their eyes light up when they suddenly got what to do. And then when they then did it and they brought the model in to show you next weekend and they were so excited to show you what they'd done. Um, I found this like such a <clears throat> such a wonderful feeling. So um, when I was able to get to the studio, whenever I was doing any kind of step-by-step um, -step guide, I found myself so interested in doing that rather than painting a full army. Um, so the TV thing um, fit me like a glove but it was, I mean, really, I was just in the right place at the right time for it uh, because the, the process started with, uh, so the studio started with um, these two fellows who were <clears throat> basically put the, at the very beginning of this department trying to work out how to film war games miniatures and make them look exciting, which, you know, at the time, the idea of, well, how do you film these static things and make them look interesting and fun? But they were kind of pioneering these ideas and things and trying different stuff. And one of them, uh, Roger Yates, had... He was looking at it. He was saying um, that we can unlock the hobby with this. We can show people how to get this stuff better than any photograph can. And um, <clears throat> he'd actually, for his interview, even when he applied for the job, he he himself put together a basic how to do a... He hadn't worked in... He was working at Games Watch at the time, but he hadn't worked in doing video stuff for quite a long time, even though he had a degree in it. Um, and so he got out all his old stuff and he kind of got all the, the programs on his computer that he could find and afford at the time. And um, he put together his own version of a painting video and showed it to then his the guy who'd hire him and he got the job off the back of that and understanding it was about promoting the miniatures um 
and he wanted to push sure. this. So the, the House Paint Set on Miniatures book came along, and then because of the TV studio was there, they had the idea of, well, why don't we make a DVD to go with it to actually illustrate these things? And so Roger was in for that. It was like his element, and they needed somebody to present it. Now, I just happened to have a freer schedule at the time because um, <clears throat> everyone was on projects, but I'd just come to the end of one, so it was easy to take me out of the line for two weeks to go and do this and then come back in and carry on. So I did. And um, like I was um, I, I was like, Roger, I was like, this is going to be so cool for showing people how to do stuff. This is this is amazing. This is so fulfilling. This is this is really exciting. Um, so we did that. And at the time, it was very rough and ready. Um, and so we had um, it was Adam Troke, I believe, doing the voiceover for the DVD. And I was just the hands in it. Um, and they had to do all sorts of stuff like hanging a pendulum from the ceiling so that I wouldn't lean too far into camera. You know, I'd bash my head against this thing. No, I was going too far. And all right, I'm sure. to back and all these, I had all these, I had these old markers on the desk, so I knew where to put my arms and things. So I'd be in the in the um, the focal point of the camera. You know, there's a lot. but it was all. No one really knew. Yeah, no one really knew um, at that stage what these things should look like and things. So we did that, and it was all, it all got approved, and it got released as a product, and that was really cool. Um, but Roger was always kind of ticking over in his mind of like, we can do this better. We can improve this. We could do this, 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 this. So he kept sort of pushing to do some more. Yeah. And eventually his boss then said, all right, have a go. I'm going to give you, I think he was given about a week to trial something. So he then gets in touch with uh, my scheduler who uh, are my bosses and stuff. And they basically let me go for, I think it was two days to work with him on this thing. And um, he kind of, sketched out all his ideas and things of what it was supposed to look like he briefed me on it and put me in the chair and we did a full video on how to build a riptide battle suit so like a full instruction guide um now this video is very boring it was something like two hours long because it explains everything it's cleaning the mold lines on everything it's oh wow going through all the pins on yeah showing you how you can pose the model and stuff like that it's really in depth um but it, it got put together comprehensive Oh, yeah, very comprehensive. It all got completed, and I got sent back to my regular job, and I just carried on. Um, Roger, meanwhile, went this stuff together, and he went to go and show his boss some of the footage. And just on the strength of that, the boss went, I think you've got something here. Um, we're going to advertise a job for a presenter. So Roger comes racing downstairs to the studio to find me at the door. He like, knocks on the door, and he's like, you can see how excited he is. And he's like, we're going to go for a presenter. I'd really like you to apply to it. And I was like, what? Because I was, whilst it was fun, I was really comfortable in my job working in the studio as one of the army painters. And um, Roger was like, like, this could be something great. This could be something really exciting. And so I was sort of stuck in a quandary then of, do I leave the comfortable job that I really like for a gamble? And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of took the plunge and did it. I mean, I, I was on the, I remember the day this happened um, on the drive home, I used to carpool with some mates at that time. And I told them what had happened. And they were all like, man, you've got to do this because if you don't, somebody else is going to do it. And if it works, you're going to be kicking yourself that you never took on that role. Um, <clears throat> so it was, a, it was a, you know, quite For a scary sure. time. Yeah. Also at the time, Games Workshop was in that period where there was no um, face of it. And people, of course, viewing it as a monolithic entity kind of thought it was because Games Workshop didn't want to talk to the customers and didn't like the customers. So there was the scare factor of me suddenly being the there only There was that impression for a while. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it, it wasn't, that wasn't actually how it was. I mean, when you were on the inside, you understood that the, the people who were there now were the same people who were there then, but there was just no social media policy, no marketing team or anything like that. Um, so I can certainly see why people thought of it that yeah. way. I mean, I would, if I was on the outside, I absolutely would. Um, so it was, it was scary because I thought people would hate me. Um, 
but we we started testing it. We got um, so anyway, I applied for the job. A whole bunch of people applied for the job, um, and I was I got it in the end. I was looking to get it. I mean, I mean, I, I imagine it's honestly to say I had an advantage, but um, you know, I took it seriously. I was really scared of not getting it, um, but I did, and off we went. And we got um, so we were in the back of the scenery storage area. Um, up against these windows with terrible lighting conditions and stuff and um, Roger was unable to order the equipment and it was very expensive equipment we were all testing it to get it set up and we over the course of about three months or so we just kept shooting a simple video and painting an ultramarine and building random kits and over that time Roger was intensively training me to be a better presenter Um, so he was assigning me tasks and homework and stuff to make sure I was talking correctly and I was thinking about what shots he wants so that I was always putting stuff in such a place that he was able to jump between the different cameras as he needed to, to create a narrative of things. Um, so it was quite an intense period. We'd, we'd complete the video, show it to his boss, who'd tear it apart, then we'd have to go and do it again. And then we'd show it to the boss, he'd tear it apart, we'd do it again. And we just kept doing it again and again and again until we got something that we were happy with. Um, sure. And then one day the boss said, the Imperial Knight's coming out. Um, how about, we want to promote it really well. We're, you know, we'll make sure it sells well. Why don't you do a video to accompany it? And we were like, ooh, okay. Um, and we had to make each video 15 minutes long. So we ended up breaking it down into those four ones of building, then painting the skeleton, painting the armor, and then putting the transfers on and completing it. And um, yeah, we filmed it. it. took about two weeks. I remember those, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm very wooden in those because it's kind of the first actual proper one. But it got put out there and people loved it. We were all of a sudden getting, yeah, it was, it was quite incredible. We were suddenly getting contacts from store managers saying that they've just had like three people come in and buy one because of that video series. Um, there were people in t- inside the building coming up to us saying that they never they saw the model, they loved it, they never dared to buy one because it was like £85 or something. And uh, they never dared get one because they thought they'd ruin it. But they watched the video and all of a yeah. sudden like, I could do that. And then they did it. And they did it. And they got a really nice model out of it. So all of a sudden it was like, this we're onto a winner here. Um, and then we just had to try and work out the format as to what worked. Um, Eventually, we settled on doing like a big monster and a trooper for each release, and just kind of carried on like that for the next three or four years or so. Yeah, it's quite a, it's quite quite weird thinking back to it. How wild! Uh, yeah, I think it must have been two thousand fifteen. Was that that was when the Adeptus Mechanicus stuff came out? And um, you know, I, I had personally a little bit in, in my I was working at Privateer Press, but I was a little burned on wargaming in general at that point. So I, I you know, when you eat, sleep, and breathe it, you, you may want to do other things from time to time. Um, but that army came <laughs> yes. out, and I'd, I'd wanted you know Mechanicus since the nineties. And uh, I was I was really on the fence about whether I was going to pick any up in my spare time. But I, I think you guys released some videos for painting Skitari Rangers and so forth. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, maybe, you know, this actually looks pretty good. I'm going I'm to follow along at home and, and try this video out. And, uh, you know, three weeks later, I had, you know, probably 2,000 points of Skitari uh, on their way to being painted because of those videos. So I think they're definitely effective sales tools. But <laughs> they're, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tremendously helpful though and you know the, the way the way you were able to break those things down into um you know the, the order of the painting your order of operations basically in, in mm. to produce those those you know maybe not studio quality but but, but you know high tabletop mm. quality things using that that citadel mm. paint system was really impressive um did, did when you were when you were presenting those videos did you have much input on you know the on the order in which it was going to be produced and you know with the, choosing the paints and so forth yeah um, absolutely it was actually a, a large part of my role it's kind of a thing that people didn't really see because a lot of people thought that when we weren't filming I was off doing a completely different job but really what I was doing was preparing for the next video 
and Roger will be editing together the one that we've just shot. So we kind of leapfrogged it a bit. Um, but the we had full control over it. So what we'd do is when the range came along, we'd look at it and we'd say, well, we think in the month that we've got to film stuff, we could do that kit and that kit. And we'd say this to the boss who uh, would then have the choice of either approving it or saying, no, he wanted different things. And sometimes we debated it and stuff like that. But um, we had a lot of control over <clears throat> picking these things. So we were trying to go for, you know, what would people want to see? Um, then once that was approved, I'd have to study the heavy metal models and uh, look at how the hobby team were painting them at the time and kind of deduce how to paint a result, a tabletop result like the ones you see on the boxes um, in simple stages um, using the Citadel paints in the you know the way that they're intended to be used. So following the Citadel system that they've got. Um, so sometimes you'd end up with really complex looking things and you'd be having to try and break down how to do that to make it really simple using just these standard simple techniques and things but but um it was always a case of for a random person if they see because right, we kind of viewed it as about probably 95 percent, possibly a bit more want to get something that just looks really good on the tabletop that's like the gold dream of it people go beyond that um i think there's plenty of other resources to learn these much more advanced stuff beyond what's um i do um but really we're trying to cater for the main amount of people who just want to get cool looking armies and feel like they're you know they've got something they can be proud of um so going for that high tabletop standard um was something really you know really were determined to stick to and to push for and stuff with occasional like slightly more advanced things but and um some more introductory things on the side as well but that core thing was like the core demographic we're aiming for um so yeah working out how to do it was kind of part of my job and my role would then be to present all right so here's the script these are the stages roger would take a look at it he'd break it down into his shot list as to what he wants to put the video together um we'd pick out particular key points that were needed more attention drawn to them so in the video we'd you know spend time on that bit usually on a miniature there's like two or three key things on it and the rest of it's not quite so important things like belts and stuff you purity seals everyone knows how to do those once you've done them all too but um more important things like on the skitari it's like well how do you paint the inside of the road without messing everything else up all right we make sure the video covers that sort of detail <laughs> yeah um, so yeah we made we made a very good team in working this kind of stuff out we became very slick and very quick at doing it together um and yeah it was it was exciting when you would then work out a way of doing something and if you then meet somebody who'd done it following the guide and theirs look just like yours it's like oh we're brilliant you know i have earned my paycheck today <laughs> <laughs> i never really thought of it in terms of um, like you saying that you went and bought a whole skitari army off the back of watching the skitari video i my goal was never that sort of thing i've always just concentrated on if someone's um wants to paint models that look like the ones in the front of the box that look pretty cool and they're going to be proud to show off to everybody and they'll want to put them in their cabinet maybe or something like that um then that's what i'm focused on whether they spend lots of money or not was never really my concern and still isn't really i just kind of want to share cool toys and help people enjoy their toys yeah i mean that's that's the dream isn't it um <clears throat> you know recently I, I actually did my first sort of miniatures painting instruction um last month at a, a local convention called OrcaCon um, on a very low level. I, I ran a, a paint and take uh, mm. event for the convention. And, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of people showing up who had never painted a miniature before and they just wanted to try it out. And, you know, I, I am, I am certainly no um, professional painter or studio painter, but it was, it was so gratifying, you know, helping people paint their first miniatures. You know, I, I think the ones that stood out for me were, you know, the, uh, a couple of teenage kids who came to both of the events, both nights, they were painting up D and D characters and, you know, and just seeing the, the the growth in their painting just in those two days was tremendous and you know it, it felt so great when they were like oh thanks so much for showing us how to do this stuff 
Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you know if, if over the years of your instruction, if you've had any moments that really stood out for you as far as an instructor. Um, I well, there's been a few moments. Yeah, things kind of that I never really expected. Um, so there's been times when so I went over to the first time I went to Nova. Um, I met a fellow there who'd um, who basically he had some difficulties in his life, and we'd actually had an email in that he'd sent into customer services, I believe it was, and it got sent on to us. Basically, been through some really difficult times. And as part of getting through it, of just taking his mind off all the, the horrible things that were happening in his life, he would paint miniatures and he wanted to paint his guitar and he wanted to improve. And so he'd been following our guide and I bumped into it at Nova and he told me all about this. And it was it was just incredible because it's like, well, I was just trying to show you how to paint your models. I didn't realize that, you know, you'd end up sort of helping people out in these ways. There's been uh, lots of people that I've met who have just been super keen on showing me miniatures and just like wanting to interact with me. Um it's been quite incredible, actually, and quite humbling when people will show me these things that they've done. It's it's always really nice as well when you meet um, a kid who's, um, you know, finally got something that's really, really gripped their imagination and they're making friends and stuff through it. And their parents uh, then come and talk to you and they're like, they'll say things like, you know, you, you provide a role model for them. And it's like, wow, that's beyond what I thought this kind of stuff would be, you know. It's uh, yeah, it's stuff that definitely stays with you, and it's quite odd because at its core, it's just these paint, painting these toys. Um, but it's amazing how people get so emotionally attached to these things and to this hobby. Um, and it's just it's just really nice to help people out with that. And I always found it a really like a, a, a kind of a, a big responsibility, I guess. Um, but as the community has taken me in so well, like I was saying earlier, you know, with the fears that people would hate me as the, the face of Games Workshop for a while. The fact they didn't, and instead of like made all these lovely memes and all this kind of weird stuff about me, um, the least I can do is if someone wants to talk to me about the hobby, is give them the time to talk to them about the hobby, you know. So when uh, people ask me, you must get sick and sick and tired of talking to people about Warhammer, and you know, like them coming up to you and interrupting you at any time. No, not at all. If if like I live, <laughs> the job is painting toys, you know, explaining people how to paint toys. If they want to come and talk to me, then the least I can do is give them some time. No, absolutely. Yeah, actually. I... You're talking about you know the uh, sort of the weird emotional attachment people get to painting miniatures. I'm I'm curious for for you what what is the intrinsic appeal of painting a miniature? You know what what, what are you what are you getting out of it at the end of the day? You know on, on whatever level besides just having a painted miniature. <clears throat> well, for my own stuff, um, I find it an extremely relaxing thing. So so I'm the kind of personality type a personality type that worries a lot. You know and. Um, like I might have a conversation with somebody and think to myself afterwards, "Ooh, did I sound rude there?" You know, and I'll get quite wound up about it. Um, so I'm finding painting stuff um, firstly helps calm my mind and just helps me relax. Um, I also find it's really nice escapism, I suppose, from the real world. You know, from scary things like paying your bills and things. It's nice to be able to have this little escape where you're in control of everything. I guess um, I find it really satisfying learning something new or finishing something new or you know completing a miniature of and seeing the thing together for the first time or finishing a unit like that feeling when you paint a new unit and put it with everything else and see it all together i find that just really really nice um and these are the things that kind of keep spurring me on to do new stuff i like seeing this combination of these miniatures put together to create this little representation of an army you know playing the games is sort of a secondary thing on that um there's so games it's a bit of a social contract when you play a game you know your opponent has to have the same ideas and want the same outfit as you do to get the best out of the game when you do have those games that's like that it's such a it's such a wonderful mutual experience as well um so that always then makes me want to go and paint something new for the next game to have a new thing to use in it into a new experience um but it's just such a 
a, a soothing, relaxing thing for me to do. I just, I just really enjoy it. I mean, Roger would tell you, I spend any moment I can painting some miniatures. My girlfriend would as well, actually. <laughs> um, anytime I've got like a free hour, I'm there with my paintbrush doing something, you know, <laughs> painting the face on something. Or, <laughs> But I am quite a hobby butterfly. So uh, a lot of people find painting um, armies can get a bit tedious, you know, painting the same sort of stuff again and again. Um, I try not to let that happen to me. So, you know, I'll have one or two main projects that I tend to focus on. But if I see another model that I really want to do, like just the other day, I had an idea of painting a hoplite, a Vixtrix hoplite. And so I dug one out and painted it and just enjoyed it. Um, but it's not the main project I'm doing right now. I might come back to them later on. But I'm determined to always make sure it's something that I can enjoy and not a stressful activity. Yeah, I think it's easy to fall into a rut sometimes, especially if you, if you are in you know, the midst of painting mm-hmm. a large mm-hmm. army. And, you know, I, I always find ways to sort of break that up in terms of, you know, um, reward painting, right? You know, if I'm painting a large army, I'll I'll pick out a couple of characters that I'm going to paint between units just to give myself a break yeah. or something to look forward to. But yeah, I, I think it's 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 very important to make sure it doesn't turn mm. into a Oh, absolutely, chore, absolutely. I mean, I, it's, <clears throat> the miniature is always what drive me for it. If, uh, if it's for a game that I really like, then that's a bonus on top of it. Um, but I'll never find myself painting an army of models that I don't like. I could just, I won't, I don't, I don't see any, even if they're amazing in the game, like they're a tournament winner or whatever, I don't see the point in forcing myself to do something I don't want to do. So it's, you've always got to kind of follow the, the desire yeah, you've got because you, you only got so much time to work on these things. So why, why force yourself to do something you don't want to do? Yeah, for sure. Actually, so here's a question. What, what gets you excited about a miniature to paint it? You know, is it, is it, uh, that it's from a particular game or is it a, a certain kind of pose you know i'm just curious what, what what kind of miniatures do you love oh a whole host of things um I, so i really like historical miniatures and um i really like kind of fantasy site sort of things you know swords and shields and spears that sort of the kind of thing i like the most i always find myself these days gravitating more towards that kind of um <clears throat> collection rather than more modern stuff with or, or like sci-fi stuff so um <clears throat> for me out of 40k and age of sigma for example i pick age of sigma because um, I, I just prefer the, the swords and sorcery kind of thing. Um, for historicals, it's things with bright uniforms are what appeal to me. So that's one of the main reasons that I really like the horse and horse and, uh, <clears throat> horse and musket period and medieval stuff as well, and even ancients as well, for all those bright colours on it. So in ancients, for example, um, I well, I really like Greeks because they've got all the lovely colours, all the designs and the shields, all that sort of thing. But when it gets to stuff like Dark Ages, where it's much grungier and much more brown, I tend to sort of like pass over that until you get to the high medieval, where it's all colours again and heraldry. Um, and yeah, things like um, Napoleonic. I love painting Napoleonic miniatures because of how smart the uniforms are and how silly the uniforms are, like getting all the piping and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody on on uh, Instagram today about painting some Napoleonics because I posted some British um, line infantry and the the final stages as i'm painting those is to do stuff oh i saw those they're beautiful oh thank you very much um the stuff like the uh, the white piping on the cuffs and you know that kind of thing that's the bit i leave to the end because it's just really fun kind of coloring it in because it just fine lines everything and makes it all pop um so, yeah so it's got to be stuff like that um yeah anything with swords and shields i'm definitely in for i mean i really like the ice and fire miniatures for that when i saw the lannister soldiers i was in um the fact that the game is a really good game is a bonus <laughs> 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 that's cool yeah actually uh, speaking of greece i'm very excited about uh, the upcoming um mythic supplement for mortal gods i don't oh, know if you saw that coming around i have not no, I've missed month, that but, uh, i'm i'm very excited to paint some you know jason and the argonauts 1963 movie style oh that's the stuff to do yeah and you know so you know, it, one thing that was very amusing for me was you know um you recently have gone um i wouldn't say rogue but you've gone freelance away from, <laughs> from games workshop and uh the thing that was uh entertaining to me was you did exactly what i did 
as soon as you left your gaming company, which was post all the miniatures from the other companies that you've been playing and painting with that you probably weren't allowed to show off on the internet because of uh, contracts. <laughs> well, it's um, it's curious, actually, what people say about that. I mean, there's some people who think that all these things I've been posting, I've been doing then and there. And I, I can't fathom why they think this. There's no way I can paint a unit of 24 red coats in like a day. This <laughs> is No, I just can't do that. Um, these are all things that I've been painting over the years, because like you were saying earlier, when you paint all day, every day, you don't necessarily want to do that when you get home. So for me, the, um, the break in it is that I wouldn't paint Games Workshop stuff. I'd do something else, which would be kind of my very own private stuff, because work was so public. You know, everything I was doing had to be done with work in mind. And still these private models would be painted with yeah. some of that in mind. So I'd be trying new techniques, for example. Um, yeah, so I approach these these things as if it was like, um, you know, trying out different color combinations, different things, using paints in different ways and stuff. So then when it came to doing a, a video, I could apply what I'd just been doing there and whatever to what we were doing for work. Um, but I've, I've, I mean, I've been fascinated with Napoleonic era stuff for years and years and years. My dad got me interested in that. So over the last, how long has it been? Uh, four years, I've been collecting a French Napoleonic army. Before that, I was doing a Greek, uh, um, so I was doing Athenians and Spartans to fight each other for Hail Caesar. Before that, I was doing a Russian Napoleonic army. Um, before that, I was doing another French Napoleonic army. Um, but this latter one I've done is, uh, I've used more <clears throat> advanced stuff on it. So I, I, it's painted to a higher standard, I think, than the previous ones I did. Um, so I've always been doing this other stuff. And, you know, the other things on the side, so some quite weird things. Um, I play a game called 7TV, which is like kind of 1970s James Bond sort of movies and stuff. Um, so I've always been doing all these kind of things. And that's not to say that I didn't like the Warhammer miniatures. You know, I certainly did. And I, I painted plenty of armies during that time for Warhammer. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, sure. it's nice to do something different. Um, so I'm just enjoying sharing these other interests I've got now. Um, and it, it was never a case that I couldn't post them. Um so our games workshop, we have like a policy that you sign about social media and it's kind of things that you might expect, like, you know, being sensible online, basically. Um, but there's no there's no hard and fast rule saying that you can't talk about anything else. Like you can't go and announce, oh, I'm playing War Machine, for example. There's no rule saying you can't. But for my position, I just thought it would have been a bit inappropriate um, because if I was there kind of representing the hobby side of Games Workshop, if I then went and showed all these other stuff, people might take that as me then saying, I prefer this other stuff, which isn't necessarily the case. I just have my own personal reasons for doing that. And I didn't want to, that. Yeah, yeah, I want to kind of enforce that into a situation for the business. So it's um, it was kind of an unexpected side effect of the job. Um, but it being such a privileged position, I was never going to be taking advantage of it. So I was always trying to think of, you know, what's appropriate behavior uh, for that kind of thing. And, and the audiences can be so divisive about it too, right? I mean, I think there, there's, especially if it, in the mid 2000s to early 2010s, there was such a, with War Machine um, and Warhammer, there was such a, a divide between the audiences that, you know, they, people would be scandalized if they found out that staffers yeah. were painting the other games. And that could be, you know, a whole fracas yes. online. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I never really <clears throat> looked much at War Machine. I remember when it first came out, um, I saw some of the models and, you know, I thought the idea was pretty cool, but I kind of, I, Working at Games Workshop took up all my time, and this was when I didn't retail. Um, and every now and then I'd see models for it. It's only more recently that I've really taken more of a look at it. And I, I must admit, I'm really taken with the idea of what are effectively steam engine golems. I think that's a really cool, neat idea. Um, and the uh, the Golden yeah. Crucible, uh, they're troopers with a sort of like hazard 
outfits. I really like those. And the um, uh, the sculpts, the resin and metal casts mm-hmm. are so nice. So I'm keeping an eye out for, I think it's called a Toro, I think, the uh, their big Warjack. Um, they seem to be sold out everywhere at the moment. The Warjack, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to get one of those. When you know, As soon as I see one available, I'm going to snap that up because then I'll have enough stuff to do a little Golden Crucible army. Like I've got a few odds and ends, but not I'm missing Warjacks. Um, but yeah, I really like those. I want to have a go with one of the Cador. Um, oh, I, I want to have um, a go at one of these uh, these Cador big Warjacks. I think it's called a Juggernaut. Um, I've seen there's a plastic kit of that, and I want to give that a try as well. Yeah, we actually have very similar taste in War Machine, apparently, because uh, Kador was my, my first army with that before I was even working there. And uh, one of the first big things I wrote for Privateer Press was a whole uh, sort of background article on the Golden Crucible for No Quarter magazine, probably around 2010. I, I always I always love the idea of like you know alchemical mm. troopers, um, you know, sort of sort of an industrial capitalist yes. force. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just a, a cool idea. I like they thought they've got these like scientists and stuff who've basically made all this technology but uh, kind of unaware of what's going on around them. So all these other nations keep kind of like marching in and taking over and stuff. The idea of like, all right, we better finally actually defend ourselves if we must. Uh, Oh, it's a good trial way though to test out all this new gear we've made. Yeah. Really cool, (laughs) fun idea. Um, So that's just sort of drawn me in um, on something that I was just loosely aware of, but this is like, actually, this is really cool. I love the idea of these guys having these rifles that they can switch ammunition, but it's like magic bullets. That's really cool. Um, and something very different to anything else I've, you know, I've been involved in. So we'll see. You know, I've not played the game yet. I don't really know much about it. I watched a video on how to play, but I'll give it a go sooner or later. Right on. So you know, now, now that you're uh, a free man these days, what is what does the future hold for you? Well, um, so by the time this goes out, I imagine that we will have revealed a logo of a thing I'm working on, uh, which is called the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. And um, effectively, it's as people see, like I can't go into details to the ins and outs of it yet because it's not just down to me to do it, but um, uh so roger the fellow i was talking about earlier who set up the painting stuff with me the two of us have um set up this thing and we're working on this thing and the intent is to do painting tutorial content like what people are used to um but for so many more subjects so the sky's the limit really about the kind of stuff that we're going to do um that's what we're hard at work at at the moment and we're trying to get to a point to reveal details and show exactly what form it's all taking as soon as we can um you'll have to bear with us for the time being uh but it's very fun and very exciting and it's been a lot of work and it was quite scary starting out but um at this stage with what things look like um i'm so excited for it there's so much potential to it there's like there's like no limits on what we can do at all um so yeah i, I really hope people like it um I mean, so far like over this since i announced i was leaving games workshop i've been overwhelmed by the amount of um interest and support i guess from people um i've had so many messages on twitter um of people just giving support of saying you know thank you for doing that job and good luck and all this kind of thing and it's been quite overwhelming a little bit emotional in a way um but it's it, it's such a privilege and an honor to have been in this position and um i'm hoping that what we're going on to do now is going to help unlock the hobby in a greater way than what we were doing before. Um, so whilst we'll still be showing people, you know, this is how you paint various Warhammer models or whatever, um, it will show, like, I think it was going to show people other things that they might not have been aware of and open up the hobby to them um, and also help them achieve the results. Like if they want to get really realistic results, for example, on a World War II tank, we can show how to do that. Um, 
So I'm really excited for the future and I just hope it works. <laughs> I, I can't think of a better person to be doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it'll be really exciting to see, you know, you being able to do tutorials and not be limited to a particular company's product line, mm -hmm. like you were saying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, so for years people have been asking, like, how do you use weathering powders? Well, now I can show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, that, that's really, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see more about how all this works out for you. Uh, yeah, actually, here's a, here's a question for you. Are there are there any areas that for you as a painter you're you're looking to improve on yourself? Is there anything that's been a difficult or a challenge that you know you're you're looking to overcome yourself? Um, so I think well, there's a few things like I really want to improve on things like um, so object source lighting. I understand the theory. And I've done some examples of it, but I'd like to do some really really um, like exciting looking examples of you know interesting plays of light on things. Um, stuff like I suppose uh for example like a star wars thing like with a lightsaber um whilst i can do like the effects of a bluish glow on something i want to be able to see how i can push that to get really really good results on it um i'm always trying to improve my faces on models to make the to bring out expressions of things more and more um and i mean on games workshop miniatures faces i find to be relatively easy because the the detail so sharp on them um, on other miniatures, that's not necessarily the case. So I want to master how you can use the paintwork to make the face sharper and show more expression and things like that. So that's something I'm practicing more and more on. Um, something I've been trying to work out is how to show using contrast paints in amongst everything else to speed up painting and still kind of uh, show very high standards with it. So rather than just painting a model entirely with contrast paints, showing like, all right, so you use contrast to block this, 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 then do this, then carry on from here and um, you know, see where that can go. And I've been trying to learn a lot more about realistic, like everything, because Games Workshop style is very bright and very cartoony. Um, I've been pushing myself on World War II miniatures on tanks and tanks to get really realistic looking weathering effects on them, you know, really realistic mud and dust and soot and all that sort of thing. Um, so those are kind of things I'm really pushing myself more for. And you can always learn a bit more about blending. You know, there's, there's always something new. There's always more. Every every painter has their own style about things and, you know, has their own approaches to things. And it's really fascinating watching how people approach and do stuff um, because you can take that on board and use it yourself. And you might look at it through a different lens to what they do and kind of bring your own influence to it. So, you know, now that, that's out of games worship, of course, I've been sort of like watching the wider world a bit more. And it's really interesting seeing how people do things. Non-metallic metals doing silver armor for example i've seen some amazing things where people have done that and done the reflections of the perceived environment on the non-metallic metal of the armor that i find incredible <laughs> that's like meta thinking that is it's, it's mind-blowing it? like, <laughs> the idea of thinking all right so this guy's going to be fighting in a wooded glade all right so that silver is going to have green reflected in it like what the hell <laughs> it'd be cool to have a go at doing something like that yeah that's that's definitely intimidating stuff you know, it's, it's funny what you're saying about contrast is um you know, I, I've, I found that, you know, I, I bought a few over the summer um, <clears throat> just to experiment with. And they've, they've, they've crept into so much of the painting I do at this point where, you know, I'm, I'm not painting anything exclusively with contrast, but there, there's such. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's interesting the different ways people are, you know, sort of fitting them into things. So I think there's a definite way of using them for Napoleonics to paint Napoleonic miniatures very quickly. Um, I think the, the trick is in applying them in the correct order. Um, <clears throat> and I think there's. I think there's something to be said for them for using them to effectively colour something in and then using a wash or a shade or something like that to then put over them to help in sort of, you know, fine line everything and then highlight from there. 
Um, I've only done the loose experiments so far, but I'm sure that there is like a, a, a speed painting method that you can do for all the major factions, the Polyonics and things. I was using some um, Black Templar as well just last night. So I was painting a Sworn Brother of the Night's Watch, a test model for it. And um, because they're entirely black, to make them interesting. So this is a, like you're talking about challenges earlier. This is a challenge, right? This is not my normal sort of territory of doing a model that's just black. How do you make the black interesting? Well, you need all these different tones of it. And I've been finding that I've been doing things like browns and blues and stuff, and then washing black Templar over it with a bit of the media to push it back towards black. So it, um, so you get a little subtleties of the different tones on it, but it still at a glance looks black. Um, yeah, black Templar is great for that. Some of them are just, uh, so there's like a numerous different sorts of contrast paint, but there's a particular one that's like a really strong one, which I always really like using. And this is colours like um, Wildwood and um, Flesh Terror's Red and Black Templar. Um, people will, I, I guess if you use a load of contrast paints, you'll understand what I mean. There's like a, a very dark, rich one. And then there's one that's a bit more sort of like um, light and chalky-ish. It tends to separate in the pot quite a bit. You have to shake it quite a bit. There's, a, I think it's like three different sorts, three or four. Um, but the really dark, rich, inky ones, I really like using those, especially for fine lining stuff and writing script and stuff like that. They're so good for that. Interesting. I hadn't thought about using them for uh, for freehanding script, but that's a great idea. Actually, here's a question for you. So oh. what are your go-to brushes these days? Oh, right. Well, I suppose, obviously, I've been using a lot of Citadel ones over the years um, and not necessarily just artificial ones. Um, I, a medium layer from Citadel is a great brush, all-purpose kind of stuff. Um, I used some Winsor Newton Series 7s. Um, and I've been dabbling with other ranges as well. So I used a few Army Painter ones. Um, they've got some amazing tiny brushes for fine details. For doing stuff like eyes, Army Painter have got some amazing brushes. Um, so I'd have a few ones that I bought from craft shops, and these would be all pop well, I think it's for rough basing in or um, washing all over stuff or varnishing, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, quite a few of them. But yeah, Citadel was the dominant one, obviously, because I was working at Games Workshop. Sure. So you know, I kind of I wanted to use the products that we were selling so that I'd understand them intimately for explaining how to use them. Same for stuff like uh, the palette pads and things like that. So I'd be using all those kind of things. And, you know, I actually, at home I'd generally use a plate, but I have palette pads and stuff as well. And I still do use them, and I still think they're, they're really useful. Um, but it was quite an i think an important part of the territory when you're doing a job like that you have to understand the products very very well no that makes total sense actually so are there any uh, other paint lines besides citadel that you're you're finding uh, helpful to you at this point oh yes um so <clears throat> yeah i've been um so for a while i've been using a whole bunch um so this well last year i started dabbling with world war Two, and world war Two is because it looks very drab it's not something i'd really looked into very much um, but, you know, when I was talking about earlier with trying to improve my ability on very realistic effects with tanks and stuff, I thought, why not? Let's do an army. Let's go for it. So um, I picked up the, the Band of Brothers set from Warlord and um, been doing an American Airborne and a German uh, late war Grenadier army. And um, I found after dabbling with a whole load of stuff, I really liked Vallejo's subtleties, the different tones that it's got for the various different shades of greens and browns and, you know, like these drab colours. And that fit very well into my style of stuff. So I, I very much like Vallejo for World War II things. Um, I've been using some Army Painter as well. Now with Army Painter, I think their metallics are absolutely wonderful. I painted a um, House Baratheon soldier using their silver, their plate mail metal. And it's such a beautiful, smooth silver. Really, really nice. Um, and I've been using their war paints too. Now their war paints in, are interesting in that they appear very thin at first. And that kind of put me off them initially. 
Um, I found though that it's because the bottle causes the paints to separate quite a lot. So if you get some of these ball bearings that they sell, and you know, I've stopped by habit to put this all metallic skin to workshop, whatever, um, to put the ball bearing in and get that to mix the pigment up and actually get it moving, then their paints are suddenly they're like really nice. So I've started using their stuff more and more. Um, but Citadel is obviously my core knowledge because I've been using it for so long. Um, so for whatever stuff I'm painting, usually core of it's like I call Citadel paints. But I'm um, like bringing in these other ones to greater or lesser extents. So like with the World War II stuff, there's a whole load of Leo with a few army paints from a few Citadel. Um, but then when it comes to stuff like my Song of Ice and Fire miniatures, it's a core of Citadel with a few army paint things on the side. And it, it kind of varies from subject to subject. Um, for some historicals, it ends up being quite a lot of army paint or stuff with just a few Citadels left over. Um, army painters' washers are very good as well. I really like their, their tone washers. Strong tones are very, very nice. Um, kind of thicker than Citadel ones so that behaves differently. It's really interesting all these different ranges, how they all kind of behave slightly differently too. Um, I've also been dabbling with a bit of P3, um, I, which I've not really had any experience with, um, but they've got some lovely vibrant colours on there, some nice really deep ones as well. Um, it's like with my Night's Watch guy, I was trying all these really dark shades of brown, black and blue, you know, I was looking, sort of mixing all these ones together from the company and painting different materials in the model, these different shades. Um, it's, there's so many out there and I found it interesting at uh, so Adepticon last year and at Nova I started asking people kind of what paints they like to use and it, it seems to me that these days rather than sticking to one brand people find that they sort of have like a core knowledge to begin with it's usually Citadel because most people get into the hobby via Citadel but they start picking out various things that they like and so yeah. no one seems to stick to just one brand so it's almost like I'm following everyone else <laughs> sure. Which is uh, like quite weird to think about it. Talk to me about it, but you know, like it's it, that's the real world, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's it, it's such a great time to be a painter too. I think um you know just between the uh, the huge amount of paint that's available now and the, the, particularly the video resources for for learning and the uh, the you know the, the variety of books that are coming out mm. and um actually that's a question. Are there, are there any books that you particularly have found useful over the years or maybe got you started? Oh, um, do you mean for hobby stuff in general or just? Oh, as a painter. Um, oh, as a painter. So White Dwarf always used to be a big thing for me when I was younger. Yeah, all the, um, the sit-up publications and the codex books when they used to do the painting guides inside those, I used to really follow those. Um, it kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone when I started working in the studio and I had to start making these painting guides. Um, so all of a sudden I had to like, like, all right, the training wheels are off. I'm going to sure. for myself now. Um, but uh, I have occasionally like looked at videos of what people are doing and seeing what sort of approach they take to things. And... Um, I like to read articles that people write in, things like War Games Illustrated and stuff, when they write down how they paint these stuff and the approach they get. I find it very interesting when people paint very small scale miniatures because that's very different to the regular stuff that I do. Um, and you just block in colours, bright colours, and that's it. No washing, nothing. Like That seems really weird to me. Um, but, you know, it's a good idea to have these wide perspectives and see what people do with these different... Um, yeah, well, that reminds me, actually. I'd really like to have a go at painting one of those really detailed large-scale miniatures i saw at adepticon there was a stand um well the name escapes me um scale 75 i think it was they had all these busts and things and they had um i can't, I can't remember what they were called it might have been scale 75 maybe that was the paint brand scale 75 they, yeah they, they have busts ah yes well on this stand they had a, a french uh, napoleonic voltigeur um which is like one of their light infantry skirmishing troops, for anyone who's not aware. And it was a really beautiful model. And I kept thinking, you know, I should buy that. When I finally got around to going, all right, so I've got like a spare five minutes, I can go and buy it. Oh, it all sold out. Oh, nuts. And so I just kind of like moved on. But um, 
that's a challenge thing. I'd like to try painting some larger scale stuff and see how much I can push myself. Um, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about that. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I, I had a few uh, a few guests on. <laughs> I, I had a few guests on in uh, the fall uh, who were professional mm-hmm. painters: um, Matt DiPietro, Chris Sure, and uh, what I'm hearing from everybody who's you know, a very high end painter at this point is that they're all getting really excited about busts and those larger scale figures because it's, it's pushing them really out far outside their comfort zones. And the uh, mm. the detail they can get is just much more interesting and and, and challenging to them. So I, I think it's it's fascinating to hear you say the same thing and that you're looking in that direction. Yeah, well, it means you got the opportunity to try doing things like um, doing different like, different colors on the skin, you know, different like subtle tones and things like that, like purples and things. Um, it'd be really fun to have a go at doing that and actually properly study, pick you know photos of people and like really look at the kind of colors there are on their flesh and then transport those over to the miniatures and see what you know what strange directions it takes you um it's very easy to fall in a rut of keeping repeating the same things so you know actually trying something like that would be a really fun challenge well that's, that's super cool well I, I don't want to keep you too much longer but one last question so if you were going to talk if you, when you're talking to a, a brand new person who wants to start painting for the first time do, do you have like a few simple pieces of advice to give them um so i think yeah there's quite a bit to it so i think um when it comes to uh, miniature painting there can often be some elitism in it um, there can also be a lot of people being embarrassed to show the things that they painted because they think people are going to look at them and say they look stupid or, or something like that so i think the bits of advice are that um it's it it's a skill that anyone can learn um with practice you will get the hang of it it's it's not a difficult thing to do really um it just requires that practice and that effort um so the th- the, the very core things if they want to go for it is pick a model that you like um try and pick make it like a human sized figure so that's not going to take you forever to do it but just something that you like um and just concentrate on being neat and blocking in your base coats on things and then have a crack with using some washers to shade things down and uh, just see how you get on and just practice that neatness and to help doing that get yourself a palette a palette is so useful it can be a wet palette or dry palette it doesn't really matter but doing so to help you understand what you're doing with the paint, the actual mechanical elements of controlling it and getting used to it and you know, getting the brush correct. And these are the, the really important skills that once you master that kind of thing, you can really do anything that you want. So I think, yeah, don't get put off by anyone else. Just concentrate on what you want to do. Enjoy what you want to do. Paint something that you're happy with and you're proud of because that builds you that confidence that helps you go places. Don't be like me and, you know, like, get scared of asking questions because of like, you know, like how you perceive someone talk to you or anything like that. Um, just like have a go, see what you enjoy, <laughs> be brave, ask people what you think. There's so many people out there now who will give you advice and things and um, yeah, just enjoy yourself. I think <laughs> it's, a, I, I think it's, it, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I always end up talking about this kind of stuff now because it's like, I think it's so vitally important, but I think it's easily forgotten. Um, and, you know, I'm totally cool with, I'm aware that there's people out there who are, who paint incredible stuff and paint to very high standards and things like that. I'm perfectly content with um, what I find fulfillment of, of helping people get into it and understanding these things and unlocking it and getting these, these cool results they really want. Um, I find it really fulfilling and I just hope that it, uh, it going forward, I can help continue to open up the hobby to people and help them get the confidence to produce the things that they want to have and to get toys on the table that look like the ones in the boxes that they fall in love with. You know, when they look into a magazine or whatever, they see these miniatures, think they're amazing. I want to do that. I want to help them do that. That's the thing that really sings to me. That's what gives me fulfillment in life. And yeah, hopefully in the future, I'm going to be able to carry on doing more of that. Well, it sounds like you're going to with uh, the, the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. Yes, that's the name that we picked. Um, Roger and me. Um, so it's not just me doing it, it is the two of us. 
Um, so that's why I can't really reveal any more information because it's not just me to decide. But the I, sure. I hope that people are right with the name. I kind of feel like putting my name on it. People know what we're going to get out of it, right? That's the main reason why we picked that. I mean, originally we weren't going to call it that, but it kind of came about that actually it would help people understand what we're doing. Um, it's uh, yeah. I hope people don't think it's like an ego trip or anything because that's really not what it is. Um, so yeah, I hope people like it. More details will be on the way soon. But yeah, I hope people. I don't think you have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to hear more about that and maybe we can have you back on to talk maybe you and roger can come on to talk more about it in the future when you know you've, oh, you've, you've launched and we can we can say everything you'd like to say about it absolutely i'd, I'd love um so exciting thing for me about this is that um i think roger's going to get a bit more of the credit he deserves i mean that story i told you about him setting this sort of stuff up and dragging me into it and training me all this is true roger is kind of the uh, all the videos for a uh, for the first what four years it was just roger and me doing them um and it was he i, I get the attention from it like you know all the like on podcasts and things like that people want to talk to me which i understand because i was the face of it and things but none of it would have happened had roger not pushed his idea and done his thing and made his thing and trained me and done all this stuff so he is kind of the unsung hero of things. So I'm, I'm really keen on basically people understanding who he is, what he's done, how important he is, and what a great bloke he is. Sounds great. I'd, I'd love to talk to Roger as well and, and you in the future when uh, when everything is out there and for the world. Um, Absolutely. But Duncan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Really exciting stuff. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and I hope everything goes as well for you as I'm sure it will. Thanks very much. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.